0: Hello, this is the DEI Perspective, and I have with me today Ms. Patty Semar. Patty is a native of Rhode Island. Semar grew up in Marquette, Michigan, and graduated from Marquette Senior High School. She is a 1985 and 1989 graduate of Northern Michigan University, where she received both a Bachelor of Science and a Master of Arts degree in English and writing. Additionally, she studied graphic design at Lansing Community College. A newlywed in 2012, she and her husband, Dale Hamela, enjoy spending time with their dog, buddy, traveling, and spending time on the beach. Sometimes there's no place like home. Since 2000, Patty has owned and operated the Wright Company, a writing, graphic design, and marketing consultation firm advertising agency of Port Huron. Prior to that, she served as the Director of Marketing and Public Relations at St. John River District Hospital in East China. She has also served as the Director of Communications at Woman's Life Insurance Society in Port Huron, as a communications representative at the Michigan Low-Level Radioactive Waste Authority in Lansing, as a communications specialist at Northern, Northern Michigan University in Marquette, and as a news reporter at the Mining Journal of Marquette. Samar is the recipient of several writing and design awards from noble organizations such as the Associated Press, the Detroit Press Club Foundation, the ASER Awards for Excellence in Healthcare Marketing, and the International Association of Business Communicators, among others. Her writing has been published in numerous magazines, both regionally and nationally, including the Detroit Free Press magazine and 17. And in August of 2011, through the Wright Company, Sammar launched a regional women's magazine called Blue Water Woman, She is the educator, publisher, sales manager, head salesperson, advertising copywriter and advertisement designer, staff writer, head photographer, and chief cook and bottle washer. In May of 2012, she launched Thumbcoast Senior, a print and online magazine that features stories about men and women 50 years and better in the blue water area and issues of importance to them. In 2018... Samar launched Superior Woman Net, an online publication featuring stories about women in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Patty, it is wonderful to have you. I feel like I'm with a celebrity right oh now. My gosh. Can I have your <laughs> autograph? I mean, geez.
1: Well, thank you for having <laughs> Such me. Such a great
0: legacy. You. So, you are with me today, and we're talking about women equality. And I'm just going to jump right in it. As you know, right now, we are in a season of a lot of topics and stories that surrounds women equity. And a lot of the stories that we're faced with today, Roe v. Wade, under uh, all of the stories and headlines in regards to just women in general. So, you know, Patty, you give women an awesome platform to be celebrated. Can you tell me a little bit about your story of how you developed the idea of the magazine and how that all came about? Sure. uh,
1: I'd like to say that it was uh, truly a big altruistic idea about honoring and uplifting women. Uh, But originally, it was during the tail end of the recession and or before things really became, um, were starting to come back in 2011. And I'm self-employed and my income was starting to drop and I was looking for a way to create an additional income stream. Um, Over the years, I had considered starting a community magazine, um, but it just seemed a little overwhelming to focus on the entire Blue Water area. So I decided to create a publication with a specific target market and I chose women. For one, I've always been passionate about women's issues and for another, Uh, a lot of my clients through my marketing uh, consultation firm had come to me over the years and asked me to target women as a target marketing audience for them. Mm -hmm. So it was something I was very comfortable with, and I thought it would give me a specific set of potential advertisers to approach. uh, If they want to reach women in the community, they could advertise and support this publication. And so all of that worked out. I, I mean, I've always, my my master's degree is actually in specifically in magazine writing and even more specifically in personal profile stories. And that is probably, you know, going back to when I first decided in college to become a journalist, that I, I personal profiles and human interest stories were always my favorite things to write.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome. And I had the opportunity to attend um, the Blue Water Women's Luncheon, I believe that Woman was. Woman of the Year. Woman yeah. of the Year. It was so awesome to see all the women being honored. I mean, the legacies are kind of just set before them. Um, and I remember hearing you speak <laughs> there. Um, you were the host mm-hmm. and, You shared a lot of genuine knowledge that I think within the community we talk about, but then maybe we don't know how to talk about. And that's being able to look through a different perspective, looking through lens, saying, I may not understand what you're going through, but I want to show empathy and educate myself and how to be a voice to help those that feel voiceless. And I really appreciate it, even when you talk about being in the community of people of color, maybe not understanding, but how you felt the need to be transparent to say, I don't understand understand. Can you help me understand? How can I be a voice? How can I tell my community what they need to know to better right. support? And I think that is all about what DEI is about. Um, being a woman, I know you spoke a lot about that at the luncheon, you know, in regards to no, you're not a woman of color, but you are a woman. You are diverse. You you know what it feels like um, to feel different at times. Mm-hmm. So have you ever felt marginalized because of your gender?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think, you know, I graduated from college in 1985. And that was really um, in the early days of the women's movement, or when women were first really still getting into the workforce. The women's liberation movement, as they called it, was called in the early 70s, was taking place in the late 60s, early 70s. So my first job out of college, I was a newspaper reporter, and um, journalism as a profession was really heavily male-dominated at the time. I was one of the few women in my college uh, newsroom. Um, I worked at the college newspaper, and so I was one of the few women there. And then I was really the only female reporter at the Daily Newspaper when I went to work there. And I can tell you for sure that my first editors were extremely sexist Mm -hmm. uh, in the way that they spoke to me, the way they assigned stories to me. Uh, they told me I was the sensitive reporter because I was the only female reporter, which was, quite frankly, a huge knock to my male colleagues, some, most of whom all were great people. Um, and they also did really even considerably more crass things like commented on my appearance and my clothing. Um, when I was out on the beat, I had the police beat which covered, you know, every branch of the police in the county, whether it was state police, uh, city police departments, uh, sheriff's department. I was called honey and sweetheart a lot and really spoken down to, I mean, I was young and I kind of, in my mind at the time, I was like, well, I'm so young. They must, you know, these men are considerably, they're all men, you know, considerably Mm -hmm. older than me. Um, And it wasn't just in the police stations. I covered city beats and to and again, had similar language and comments and meetings. Again, a lot of things were said when I think back on it about my appearance or clothing. And I was wearing your very uh, stereotype 1980s <laughs> buttoned up to my neck suit and blouse. Yeah. And so there was nothing inappropriate about my appearance by any means. Uh, we had a very strict, actually, a very strict dress code at, at work. So I would say that those things were extremely, they kind of shaped, you know, my 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 mental uh, place at the time and how I, I knew I was going to be approached differently when I walked into a room because I was a woman. Mm-hmm. And I was going to sp- be spoken to differently because I was female. That was just kind of how the way it was. The other thing is, Sexual harassment didn't become illegal really until 1980, and I did look that up before I came here. Um, I knew it was it was in the 80s, but a lot of companies just it was a law that was passed, mm-hmm. and a lot of people weren't doing much about it, and uh, so a lot of companies didn't even have sexual harassment policy. I never reported to anybody that there was any problem at work. That was for one thing. I would have felt like that it was a relatively small workplace that would have targeted me. I was afraid. And I really, most companies that I worked for during that period of time or most business, pl- places of business where I worked, had all kinds of kind of really crazy things happening, you know, uh, that, that were very inappropriate in terms of gender, um, people being treated differently because they were female. You know, I, I'm trying to think, I, I know when I worked in Lansing, I worked for the state government. There was a situation where I had a, a female colleague. I didn't, in that particular office, I didn't feel personally attacked, but there one, one of the men who was in a position of power, there was a woman who was turning 50 years old. And basically he was our boss and he, hired a male stripper (laughs) to come and perform for her in the workplace for her birthday. She was a very, what you would call then, a good sport about Um, it. I got on a plane with her the next day to take a business trip, and she was in tears. She was just absolutely mortified at what he had done to her. I can't imagine that happening in today's world, but it happened, and that was the early 90s. So things have changed a little. (laughs) Things have changed, and we have a
0: lot of our male counterparts recognize it, too, um, which I think sometimes when you bring those biases in, it really hurts how we identify each other, too, even with the gender bias. Um, you When we look at now versus back then, so we've witnessed – for an example, our vice president, Kamala Harris, and we have Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown. I mean, we've come a long way when we identify and see ourselves, even from a gender aspect. What does that mean to you, though, as a woman, that we see this advancement? But what does that really say about the glass ceiling effect of all of it?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, having a female vice president, and specifically a female vice president of color is probably one of women's in the United States highest achievement, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, of my lifetime. But I'll tell you a funny story. I, when I was a little girl in the early seventies and I was, late elementary school uh, 1972 presidential election cycle came about and in school we got the weekly reader i don't know if you got that in oh, school yeah. or not from scholastic i remember that and so we that was our stu- it was an elementary school weekly newspaper and we studied the presidential election and when the um panel of all of the people who were vying for the democratic nomination was announced it was in the weekly reader and shirley chisholm who was a black u.s congresswoman would ran for president And I was eight years old at the time I'm reading this. And I thought, you talk about how kids see, they need to see themselves. Well, I was at eight years old. I thought, well, that was totally normal that a black woman would be running for president. And to be honest, I continued to think that until I probably, you know, not, not too many years later, I got to be old enough to a point where, you know, I understood that, oh, that was very rare. She was a huge trailblazer and an awesome, you know, woman and way out of her, but, but I mean, she made a real name for herself and in in 1984 was the first presidential election that I was able to vote in was Mm -hmm. old enough to vote. And, um, I'm a Democrat and I voted for Walter Mondale, who was the presidential uh, nominee and his running mate was a woman. So my very first presidential election that I was able to vote for, I voted for Walter Mondale and Geraldine Ferraro and they lost obviously. Um, but again, at that point in my life, I was very excited to be casting my first vote. It was the very first time I was able to vote, period, at uh, for a, a female to hold office. She lost. Fast forward, we've had one other female on the ticket between her and Kamala Harris, and that was Sarah Palin. And I will say, I really want to make an important point <laughs> about this, is that While I believe really strongly in trying to honor and uplift women as a whole and and women should do that for one another, Mm -hmm. I also really value my vote as a citizen of the U.S. And I really think it's important to uh, make sure that you're casting your vote for somebody whose belief system aligns with yours and Mm -hmm. what you believe to be right in the world. Because I, for numerous reasons, could not vote. For Sarah Palin in 2008. She was running uh, as the running mate uh, alongside John uh, McCain, who was the presidential nominee of the Republican Party. They lost to Barack Obama, who I was very proud to vote for. Uh, and, at, But I remember going to lunch the day that John McCain announced in the morning that he had nominated or was selecting Sarah Palin to be his running mate. And all over, there were women women who were excited, and I went to lunch with some women who spoke, were very excited that this woman was on the ballot, and I just didn't really say anything because I knew that I would never be able to align with what she believed in. So I think that it's important, while on one hand, I certainly, more than anyone, want to see women in positions of power and authority in our country, I think it's really important to uh, also take special care to make sure that you're not just elevating a gender, that you're elevating a belief system. And I, that's what voting is to me.
0: Yeah. And I think you've touched on a lot of things, Patty, that <laughs> we talk about within what is diversity, equity, mm-hmm. and inclusion that we're going to have different perspectives and views. And that, that does not mean that you conform to a different belief. Right. It means that you have to be your own individual Um, throughout the entire process I think you said something that was great too though when you saw Vice President Harris you identified her as a woman you you really didn't zone in with the color you knew that she was different but I think that's also what we talk about in diversity is that we recognize the differences but that we all belong to have a seat at the table and it doesn't matter your political views, your, you know, your sexual orientation, your religious views. We're all going to come to the table with all these differences, but can we respect and understand each other? And then there will become a point where you do have to stand by your views and, and, and we don't, dissect it. You know, as you said, we have the gender gender equity piece, but we all should have a voice, right? But that doesn't mean that all of our views are going to align the same. So I think those are conversations that we need to have more. And with all the legislation changes that have targeted women, we talk about this all the time about pushing for equality and focusing on equity, but what does that really mean And so some things that we think about as a community or a society, especially in the educational system, uh, when we are preparing our students for the outside world to help improve that level of progression. What are some ways you think as a community or as a society that we can move in that direction even more?
1: You know, when I I talked earlier about when I was growing up, we called it the women's liberation movement. That was a Mm -hmm. real 1970s term and we talked a lot then or i was a little kid but my mother talked about it my aunt talked about it i heard that those ter- those terms being thrown around a lot at home and we they talked a lot about equality at the time women just wanted the opportunity to have some sort of equality like that they were they applied for a job that they had equal opportunity to receive that job versus when if they were applying versus a man who had like the same qualifications and I know that that gets into a whole other you can go down that dive deeply down that rabbit hole in terms of you know then color and race and sexual orientation and all of that but in terms of female I do think it's important for us at this point, and the semantics have changed. I think there's a lot more talk about equity now as opposed to equality. Equality is, yes, you can both apply for this job and both sort of have this equal, supposedly equal opportunity to get the job. What I think is important, specifically, like an example I use is with with employers, is once, okay, Let's once you're hired into the job, uh, I think women, you know, often do need, some specific accommodations for employers for example women give birth to babies you know i'm sorry that's just something that happens in life and and if we want to sustain the race and the and the not the race but the the world population Pop- then we need to continue having children um, and some accommodations in the workplace need to, to take place for that i can give you an example of a friend of mine young woman she's a highly uh, trained engineer works for caterpillar And she is less than 40 years old, but she gave birth and she needed to, you know, breast pump for her child. And it was like all these male engineers had never heard of such a request that she needed a place to go to do this. So it's kind of like I look at it like you can also look at like for years, we both equality is where you have a men's and a woman's restroom. Right. We both can go into a public restroom Um, or I, I prefer the more. When the unisex, when everybody everybody can go into wherever, but what do you go if you walk into a male bathroom? What do you find? You find a urinal, that is accommodating men. How are we accommodating women mm-hmm. in a public space like that? Women have other needs for going into a restroom, whether it's changing a baby's diaper, breastfeeding, feminine hygiene issues. So how are we accommodating? That's just an example of how we need to, in society, think about the fact that the genders are different. I think most uh, laws and even HR handbooks in this country are written either by men or from a male perspective, and maybe not so much now. I think a lot of companies and organizations are starting to think more along the DEI lines and they have to. It's kind of being, quite frankly, forced on them, and rightfully so. But I think historically, it's not been that way. And I think Bringing women to the table and finding out what their needs are, and bringing people of color or people from other with the, from the LGBTQ community and find out what are their needs in terms of workplace or public spaces. What are the needs of different groups, mm-hmm. and bring them to the table. And if you don't invite people, if you don't ask, a lot of people won't speak up if they're not asked. But if they're if you ask them, they're more than happy to share their point of view and how they might. Um, be better accommodated.
0: You're right. And we don't always know all the answers. Right. We won't know. And I think that's the important piece of the equity. The equality is saying we we do need to understand what those resources are, but we are different. And I think that is a fine line, that we understand those differences so that we can better come together in our community. And I know, Patty, um, you have some inspirations in your life. (laughs) And we're we're closing in on this. But if you can give me just one or two that has really inspired your life and what does that mean?
1: Well, I think I can't close this out without talking about Gloria Steinem, who, again, back to the early 70s, she started Ms. Magazine. She was a pioneer uh, for just talking about women's issues in general and she quickly learned in her, i read some of her books, and she quickly learned that she needed to include women of color and from different cultures. To She needed to invite them to the table at the time because she discovered very quickly, she's a white woman and she knew, figured out quickly that other women in other cultures and other life situations, they needed to be included if we're talking about making change based on gender. And another quick a historic figure, I think, will be will ultimately go down in history as one of the most brilliant women we've had involved in government. And I know people love her and hate her, and that's Hillary Clinton. Um, and I know she has a lot of baggage, and I'm sure her ego is as big as the room we're sitting in. But at the same time, she is somebody who is probably, I think there's not too many people in the country who would disagree that she was by far the most overqualified person to run for president of the United States ever. And she actually won the popular vote. I mean, we can't change the way the Electoral College kind of messed all that up for her. But uh, I'd like to think that, you know, we might be in a different place in the world had she been able to become president. And I cannot close this without also adding that the women in my own family, uh, my mother, my grandmother's my 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 grandmother worked very hard in factories that did not have unions and did not have safe workspaces. And she was a personal maid for a wealthy woman who made fun of her for her political beliefs. Mm. And, you know, called her that funny little Ukrainian who voted for Kennedy and didn't... <laughs> just made fun of her a lot and it hurt my grandmother but she spoke yeah. up to this woman and finally quit working for her because of it when she didn't have another job at a time when you just didn't do that. And I take her life with me when I speak out in any for any political cause I believe in because she worked hard to help, well, ultimately it rolled down to me being able to have a good life. And I remember my aunt, who was from New England and had this thick New English accent, would ask me when I was a little girl, are you a Libba? Are you a women's Libba, Patty? Are you with us? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, of course I'm with you, of course I'm with you. I want to do anything she wanted to do, but um, I feel like I'm speaking up for my aunt and my mother and my grandmother when I speak up, and for also for all of the young women in our country who have so much to lose. If we do not continue to defend women's rights in this country. So with that uplifting note. (laughs) Well, Patty, it was a a pleasure.
0: I really enjoy being with you today. And you are probably one of those that will push the needle to where we need to be. I mean, you could be the next president,
1: Oh, jeepers. No, no. I won't even (laughs) run for office. I could not be elected here, so...
0: (laughs) It's been great having you and I look forward to working closely with you within the community as we push women's equity forward. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And this has been the DEI Perspective.